So loving, loving Sairam, Dr. Shashank Shah, welcome to the series Awake, Unite and Inspire. We are extremely happy, fortunate and blessed to have you on our program this evening. Before we begin the interview, can you chant some divine slokas? Sure, Brother Faiz, thank you for inviting me to this platform and happy to share my thoughts. Uh, let us commence uh, with a small Vedic prayer. Om Ganana Antva Ganapati Gum Havamahe Kavim Kavinam Upamashraptamam Jeshtarajam Brahmanam Brahmanaspata Anashunvan Notebesi Dasadanam Prano Devi Saraswati Vaje Virvajini Vati Dhinama Vitriyavatu Ganeshaya Namaha Saraswatyay Namaha Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Harihi Om Om Tachayo Ravrini Mahe Gatum Yagnaya Gatum Yagnapatae Daive Swastirastunaha Swastir Manushe Bhyaha Urdvam Jigatu Bheshajam Shanno Astud Dipade Shanchatushpade Om Shanti 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 will prevail. This is the best prayer because essentially whatever happens is God's will. God's will. In fact, this entire law of karma also, which we fear, which we consider as negative, which we think is punitive, is not. It is a corrective law, most benevolent law. It is put into place by divinity and it is actually he running this entire show to the law of karma and he interferes where he thinks is the right time for our own spiritual well-being. Swami had once said, all the prayers that you make for worldly things, don't reach me. There are several principles and positions that have been created by divinity and each of them takes care of those different aspects of creation and its functioning. There are only three areas in which I accept direct prayers. What are those three areas? Selfless love selfless service and selfless sadhana. If you have any prayers in these three areas, these three directly come under my jurisdiction. If we look at it with a little bit of a micro lens, we'll realize Swami is talking about the path of action, the path of devotion and the path of knowledge, karma, bhakti and jnana. On these three paths, he is the direct guide and guardian. For anything else, he is left it to the law of karma and he will, because that is his own doing, his own will, and it will fructify. And that is what he said, love my uncertainty. If it is happening this way, you didn't expect it, this is also good for you. If it is happening another way, in very positive, which you didn't expect, even that is good for you. Whatever happens is good for you. This is the best mantra for every spiritual seeker. Thank you. Very, very beautiful, brother. And it, it, it sort of connects to an observation that should the devotee do, when a devotee prays to Bhagwan, he's praying for a specific expected result. 
He's written his exam. Swami, please let me pass for a very good school. He prays to Swami. Swami, please allow my son to get an, a very good uh, uh, marriage partner, etc. So he's always praying for something born out of that ego and his personality. So based on what you've described, maybe the best prayer should always be, Swami, let thy will be done. Because as you said so beautifully described in the stadium, we are only seeing the present. Swami sees the whole picture. Correct, correct. In fact, that's what uh, is said in Christianity as well. Let thy will be done. Because thine is the best will. You know what is best for all creation because you are the creator. And if we have that sense of surrender, we know that whatever happens is good for us. And that's why surrender is the prerequisite for spiritual emancipation. Either we surrender whatever happens to our physical identity, which we consider as ourselves separately, and say that whatever happens is good for me, I surrender to thy will. That is the path of bhakti. Or the path of jnana or wisdom is we surrender this identity itself. We are not this body. We are not the mind. We are the indweller which shines on this body and mind. And hence, when there is no identity itself, there is nothing to expect and reject. So either way, the path of surrender, let thy will be done, is the highway to spiritual progress. This bartering of, I want this, I want that, my son's marriage, my daughter's uh, uh, alliance, my grandson's education, my post-retirement, all of these are like transactions. Swami had said in 1991 summer course, you are doing all these deals with God, thinking that he is a shareholding partner with you. That is wrong. There are no deals with God. There is only one deal, surrender. His will will prevail because that is the best will because you do not know with your limited understanding what is good for you. He knows what is good for you. And if you surrender, he will do what is best for you. If you ask what you want, sometimes he will give. But you have to face the consequences of what he asks for, of what you ask for, because you have asked for it. So now you have to pay the price for it as well, good as well as bad. And hence, because you don't know what is good for you, you pray. Like Swami used to say, if you stand on the shore, you will only see shells. But if you go to the depths of the ocean, you will be able to benefit from the true treasures which the ocean has to offer. On the shores of spirituality, we will find these worldly benefits and we pray to God for that. But in the depths of spirituality, we'll find the true treasures. And if we do not aspire for these shells, he will give us the true treasure. So let's surrender. I think that is what the true message is. So brother, again, it leads to another question and observation. Man is involved in so many different activities. We buy a new house, we get a new job. And it's all because there's this inherent desire and need to be happy. So people say, when I get the grandchild, I'll be happy. When I buy the car, I'll be happy. When India uh, wins the CPL, I'll be happy. So everything is based on an external uh, object or circumstance that is conditional to our happiness. But when you just described about expectation, which is all tied in with nishkama karma, is it then true to say that if 
our very nature is to look for happiness, that the true and permanent state of always being and happy, always being happy, can come from you performing the action, but leaving the results totally in God's hands. Because as you said, the effort is in your hands, the result is not. So if I perform action in this nishkarmic way, can I always then be happy? Uh, yes. So I think uh, nishkama karma or selfless actions is the first step. Uh, it is uh, what the essence of karma yoga. Why is normal karma becoming karma yoga? Is because normal karma is action reaction. You indulge in something with the desire for its results. You indulge in it with a sense of doership and hence you also benefit or suffer from the sense of receiving it because I have done it. So I have to get it. So the karma will give its fruits to you. But the moment you follow karma yoga, which is a sense of detached action where you do not expect the action or you surrender the action to God as to whatever the results is thy will. And I surrender to it. Then you are not directing the outcomes of those karmas to you. And this is the first step in our spiritual progress. There are three concepts. And if we have time, I can just elaborate on that briefly. The concepts of mala, vikshepa and avarana. These are the three problems which we are suffering from because of which that earlier question which you asked that how can I be Swami? How can I be divinity? I am this mundane uh, puny self, whereas uh, divinity is the very creator. It is these three which come in the way of our realizing. What are they? Mala is dirt. What is dirt? Dirt is basically these impressions, negative and positive impressions that have been accumulated on our chitta or our subconscious mind over lifetimes. Every action that we undertake leaves behind some impressions. And imagine how many actions and words and thoughts we indulge in on a daily basis. Now multiply that with the number of lifetimes we may have lived and put all of that together. And that is the quantum of dirt that is accumulated in our chitta or subconscious mind. This is chitta mala or the dirt of the mind, which is what prevents us from asserting and identifying ourselves with the divinity, which clouds our vision because of the foulness of these vrittis or tendencies. This chitta mala gives the outcome of in the form of vrittis. Anger, hatred, happiness, satisfaction, selfishness, jealousy. These are an, all an outcomes of the foulness and the fragrance of all these accumulated impressions. So nishkama karma or selfless action slowly helps in wiping and washing away all of this dirt or the accumulated impressions. It is said, chittasya shuddhaye karma. The whole objective of karma is Chitta Shuddhi, cleaning of this particular accumulated impressions in our subconscious. Then the next is Vikshepa. Vikshepa is unsteadiness. Now we can compare our mind to a mirror and all these accumulated tendencies are like a huge uh, pile of dust on that. With all these actions, selfless actions we do, all these different kinds of service projects we do, all these different kinds of bhajan singing and study circle and the, uh, uh, the 
the Balvikas class and whatever other quote-unquote spiritual activities we are doing are all ways in order to remove this dust and dirt from the mirror of the chitta. This is the first step, the mala. Vikshepa is the unsteadiness. Now, while the chitta is clean, but there is a lot of unsteadiness because the mind is used to jump from one to the other. It is said that in a day, we come across several thousands of thoughts, probably tens of thousands of thoughts every single day. The mind's nature is to jump from one to the other. So this mirror is clean, but it is unsteady. It is shaking. And so the image is seen in that, but it is seen as a shaky image. This is called vikshepa. This vikshepa is addressed by steadiness. Steadiness comes from either a sense of devotion to a higher power, or it comes from yoga or reflecting on your own divine identity through the eight steps of Ashtanga yoga as given by Sage Patanjali. This is for steadiness of the mind. And once the thing becomes steady, there is another problem. There is this veil of ignorance that has been covering this mirror. This veil of ignorance is the one which we have embraced by falsely identifying ourselves with the body and mind. And for that, the path of wisdom and listening, shravanam, mananam, reflecting, nididhyasanam, internalizing is the only way of removing this unseen veil of ignorance which blocks the mirror from identifying itself with the true spiritual identity that we are. When this dirt is removed, when the mirror becomes steady, and when this unseen veil of ignorance is removed through listening, reflection, and internalizing of the supreme message and principles, we get what is called self-realization. What is this self-realization? This chitta is an instrument of the, as I said, subconscious, the mind per se. It is just now focused on outside. So everything that is reflected just now is towards the, from the external thing. And hence, whatever Swami used to say, reflection, reaction, resound, thought, word, deed, everything is outward. Spirituality turns this mirror inward. But this mirror is dirty, so you have to indulge in karma yoga. This mirror is unsteady, so you have to indulge in bhakti yoga or ashtanga yoga. And this mirror has this unseen veil of ignorance, so you have to indulge in jnana yoga. Through all of this, when this mirror becomes a perfect instrument, what happens? It has turned inside, it has removed the dirt, it has become steady, and the unseen veil of ignorance is removed. And what happens is the soul, which is lighting up this mirror, is reflected in the mirror, and that light shines. That is what is self-realization. It is only the turning of this mirror from outside to inside and making it a fit instrument to reflect the light of the soul. When the light of the soul reflects in this mirror of the mind, you realize that you are verily divine. This is self-realization. The self does not realize itself. The mind which is deluded in considering itself with everything to the outside world and is an unfit instrument to understand that it is divinity within the mind is getting self-realized. The mind is seeing the, the self in its true identity and is becoming one with the self. That is self-realization. So I think I covered several aspects of uh, the questions in this. Why Swami said, I and you are one. What is true self-realization? Where is divinity inside us? 
and how can we attain that divinity now you see all the jigsaw puzzle will come into place everything swami said with respect to karma yoga is to make chitta shuddhi everything he said with focus to god and accepting as god's will is for steadiness and all the things he said about wisdom that he and we are not different that we are really we are divinity is to slowly remove this veil of ignorance which forces us to think that we are this body mind and uh, a body mind complex and this is if consistently practiced all three of these together we will ultimately reach the identification which is called self realization once you realize that you are the self brahma with brahmaiva bhavati when the, the knower of brahman becomes brahman himself you have known you have realized that you are the self once you realize that you are the self you become that self itself then there is no difference between you and divinity in experience also just now also there is no difference between you and divinity you have covered yourself with this malavik shape and avarna and that's why you are not able to realize that you are div not that you are divinity when these three are removed in experience also you will realize that there is no difference between you and divinity you are verily divinity and that's why swami is to address us as prema swarupa the embodiment of supreme love divyatma swarupa the very embodiment of supreme divinity this is the highest message that swami has been giving but we trivialize it as you said in asking for marriage alliances job promotions and retirement benefits uh, swami used to say it's wasting of opportunity you come to kalpavriksha the wish fulfilling tree and ask for coffee powder which is available with a grocer store go to the grocer store for coffee come to kalpavriksha the wish fulfilling tree to ask for what ask for himself because only he can give you himself nobody else can give you himself the avatar has the supreme priority and authority to confer the highest what may take several lifetimes the avatar can give you in the snap of a finger but are we ready is the question i will give you what you want are you ready for it some used to ask that this is the process of readiness which i described and giving is a matter of actually there is no giving you are that some used to say you do not have to experience the silence you are the silence remove the noise you will have silence you are verily peace remove i the ego want the desire what remains is peace you are verily divinity remove the body and mind identification you will realize that you are divinity this is the essence of swami's message it is such a powerful message i know of a, a spiritual speaker who is not a part of uh, swami's mission but he uh, but uh, she Uh, uh this was shared with with one of the devotees uh, she uh, takes up uh, spiritual texts and conducts study circle so for uh, devotees uh, she was uh, for sai devotee uh, she was uh, also doing study circle around vahinis and when she was reading prashanti vahini for the first time as a part of the study circle this particular spiritual preacher who was not a devotee in the middle of reading prashanti vahini she broke down she broke down couple of times and this is a person who is a, a, a spiritual seeker and says read the finest of texts but by while reading swami's text she broke down and said how much more simple can anybody make it having received the message the most profound message in the most simplest of forms and such a guru in an accessible uh, 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 distance what more can anybody ask for we are all those blessed souls who have received the most profound message in the most simple way 
and have had him in the most accessible distance, we should make the most of this opportunity. This is why Swami is to underscore that again and again. Thank you so much, brother. I feel like a little child listening to the imparting of the knowledge by the teacher. Thank you so much, brother. And while you were speaking, it brought to my memory, it brought back to my memory, uh, incident that happened in Sri Ramakrishna Paramahansa's life, where a disciple came to, came to him and said, Oh, Master, what is it like to feel when you are realized? And he said, if a salt doll goes to measure the ocean, the moment it touches the water, it becomes one with the ocean. Who is to come back to tell? So that is one observation. The second one, brother, as you said, it reminded me of a situation where do we really want what Swami has come to give? This lady had gotten an interview and Swami said, what do you want? She said, Swami, I want to merge in you. And Swami said, I give you now. You want to realize? She said, no, 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 Swami. I have a family and commitments to look after. So are we really serious about spirituality and merging and becoming one with him? Or are we just playing marbles with the name of God? No, that's very correct. In fact, in the Gita, Lord Krishna gives the four categories of... Uh... Uh, individuals, Arthis, Artharthis, Jignasu, and Jnani. These are the four levels. Arthis are the one who desire from uh, desire for worldly things. Uh, sorry, Arthis are the ones who desire for physical related things. They have physical ailments and everything related to the body is what Arthis are wanting. Artharthis are the ones who desire for things relating to the mind, fulfillment of desires and uh, things that will give them apparent satisfaction through mental satisfaction. And then the third is Jignasus, the ones who want knowledge, spiritual knowledge at that, so that their horizons of understanding can expand. And the finest are the ones who are the Jnanis, who realize that there is nothing more to ask for than divinity, because having had divinity, everything else is added on to you, because that is nothing else but that. Which category do we belong to is the question each one of us have to ask ourselves. Are we Arthis? Are we Artharthis? Are we Jignasus? Are we Jnanis? It is typically like a pyramid. The Arthis relating to the body are the huge chunk at the base of the pyramid. The Artharthis are the nest small chunk. The Jignasus are the small band at the top. And the Jnanis are the tip of the pyramid. That is the division of people even in Swami's fold. If we want to, but till we go to the top, there is no way to redemption. So we ourselves have to gradually evolve from Arthis to Artharthis to Jignasus and Jnanis and realize that there is nothing beyond divinity to aspire for in this world. And having received that, we should feel that our life's journey has culminated. Just now we are using that most precious gem as a, a paperweight. The precious diamond is being used as a stone to clean our clothes. It's like that Dhobi. That Dhobi realized, uh, got a very precious stone. This is a, this is a story. Uh, Chinnakatha is also shared by Sri Ramakrishna. It's a popular story in ancient, ancient times. Uh, the Dhobi had a very valuable, had a stone which he used to use to wash his clothes. 
and uh, one fine day someone saw it and said this looks very uh, valuable why don't you ask someone so he asked a particular vegetable vendor he said oh this is uh, this looks very valuable i'll give you 10 kgs of brinjal in exchange so he said uh, no no i don't want 10 kgs of brinjal uh, then he went to a particular uh, he went to a series of uh, people and finally he went to the jeweler and the jeweler said oh this is extremely valuable i will give you these many millions of rupees for this particular jewel and this person realized that this most precious multi million dollar jewel he had all this while been using to wash clothes and make them clean that is exactly the jewel of divinity and then what he did he put that jewel in his uh, safe with multiple doors so that nobody can access it that is where we have to put divinity in the closest recesses of our heart and realize that this is the most precious possession of my life we are using divinity as something external to us and trying to get worldly benefits from it it's the most ridiculous use of the most precious gift of our life so brother it leads me to the next question there are thousands millions who have trung to put up a tree during the darshan times and other times many many devotees will hand uh, a pitya japamala and they ask swami swami please bless you know swami will put his hand i bless i bless i bless and then you may get an interview where there is a project that you want whether it's building an orphanage starting a such as high school you ask swami for his blessings and he blesses but when it comes to blessing he blesses almost oh, everything but when it comes to approval it's a totally different uh, way that he handles it so can you share a little bit what is the difference between swami blessing something and swami approving of something the difference between blessings and approval Yes, so there are uh, two uh, sides to this. I'll try and cover both of them. Uh, in one way, I would say it is typically in the in the cosmic scheme of things, which is called paramarthika at the highest level. I would say it is a play of words because everything is the same in his uh, scheme of things. There is this poem uh, which Swami would uh, used to say very many times in his uh, discourses uh, to those who say yes, he is yes. to those who say no he is no yes or no come from others mouth and minds but he always remains yes 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 and then swami would say s s s what is that shri satya sai so swami continued in that particular discourse uh, i am sourcing this uh, poem from it was the ugadi day new year's day in 1995 swami said for god there is no yes and no no these are echoes of your own feelings that's why swami would say everything is a reflection reaction and resound of your thought word and deed on another occasion swami had said god's grace is like the cosmic wind it is always present the one who makes the effort to raise his sails benefits from the wind similarly the one who makes the efforts to progress in one's journey benefits from god's grace to say that god blesses something and does not bless something is like saying that god is a partial entity who takes sides in the paramarthik or the cosmic scheme of things 
where is there a side for him to take when all the sides are in him everything is in him everything belongs to him the good and bad belong to him as krishna had told arjuna on the battlefield he is in bhishma he is in duryodhana he is in shakuni he is in arjuna he is in yudhishthira he is in every single soldier on the battlefield so in the cosmic scheme of things he is in everybody and he is acting through everybody that is that i the atma which is the one which is reflecting forth through these varied bodies and minds the same blue light between the ninth and 12th vertebrae which is verily the reflection of the supreme divinity as given in the gita this is at the cosmic level which we must understand majority of the problems in the world today is because we do not realize this cosmic nature of things where my right and your right become different because we are seeing it from a relative sense everything becomes one at the cosmic horizon where everything is within divinity so swami used to correct he used to say it is wrong to say god is in me the correct thing is i am in god because god is the whole and i am a part god is the sky and i am the reflection god is the creator i am the speck and the dust in these three sentences i covered the three approaches of advaita vishishta advaita and the dvaita form of vedanta now this is the cosmic side of things and yet the same krishna took sides this is vyavaharika or relative whose side did he take he took the side of the pandavas why did he take the side of the pandavas not because he had physical relationship with them yes he did not because he liked them yes he did but because the pandavas were on the side of dharma and krishna was siding with dharma that is what he told duryodhana and dhritarashtra and bhishma in the great epic mahabharata when he goes with a peace proposal that people call me a person who is partial to the pandavas i am not partial to pandavas i am partial to dharma yato dharmah tato jayah wherever there is dharma there victory is assured and wherever there is dharma i will always take that side so when it comes at the relative or vyavaharika level swami approving something it is always swami approving that which is in alignment with dharma even in the bhagavad gita the bhagavad gita concludes with that particular shloka yatr yogeshwara krishno yatr partho dhanurdara tatr shri vijayo bhutir dhruva nitir matir mamma wherever there is krishna which means god's grace which means dharma and wherever there is arjuna dhanurdara partho dhanurdara what is the meaning of partha partha means prithvi putra the children of the soil which means all of us but dhanurdara means the one who is an expert in archery means the one who is proficient in his skills the one who is excellent in whatever he does wherever there is krishna and dharma and divine grace and the individual who is working with all proficiency in alignment with dharma tatra shri opulence vijaya victory bhuti wealth dhruvanitir permanent righteousness these are the things which will be present when these two positive and negative currents combine so when we say that swami is approving something it is about this current of divine divine grace in alignment of dharma positive current 
and the negative current of selfless and proficient action undertaken by us, that is when there is going to be light. So this is the difference between at the Vyavaharika level, blessing and approval. As I said, he will say yes, yes, yes to everything because you do something, you take the doership, you benefit positive and negative karma, that is blessing. Approving is aligning with dharma and saying, no, this is the right path. You should follow it and you follow that and the positive current of God's grace and the negative current of selfless human action combined and there is light, there is success, there is opulence, there is perennial dharma righteousness. So, brother, it, it brings to mind such a very interesting and valuable uh, distinguishing lesson there between blessing and approval. But while you were sharing, it brought to light a story that I heard where this uh, the parents had already decided, both parents on marriage partners, and they came to Swami to get his blessings and perform the marriage. So every day they would pester Swami in the line, Swami, please perform marriage. Swami, please bless. After a while, Swami performed the marriage. And after a short period of time, divorce happened. So they came back to Prashanti and they blamed Swami. They said, Swami, you are God. You blessed the marriage. You performed the marriage. And then Swami said, no, 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 don't blame God. You came with an already decided matter and asked me to bless. What can I do? You're praying earnestly. I blessed, I performed. But you didn't come and say, Swami, is this a good match? Can we get your approval? No, you already came. So the distinguishing feature that you made there is that we already decide and come for blessings. Not really asking Swami, Swami, is this a good match? Will this work out? Is this what is good for us? You know. So very, very interesting uh, that distinction between blessings and approval. And that's exactly what we do when we go to every temple, mosque, church. We should go there to close our eyes, ideally, and reflect on the divine inspiration emanating from the ambience of that church, mosque, temple, or uh, or synagogue, or a Buddhist monastery, or whatever you may will. And uh, from those vibrations, reflect to the divine voice within and see what inspiration we get. Instead, we don't do that. We go to that place and open up our long wish list. You do this for me. You do that for me. You fulfill this desire. You do this. You... And then if he doesn't, what kind of a God are you? We are praying to you, not fulfilling. If he does and doesn't work to our lives or this, and, and, and adds to our problems, what is this? You did this. Still, I suffered. We are, we are trying to superimpose our mental limitations on divinity, treating literally God as our servant instead of becoming his servants and asking him for his command, we are giving him commands. This is the fundamental flaw in our approach and our relationship with God. So brother, very, very interesting and powerful message. It also brought to mind an experience that uh, Sundar Aya had. You know, he had spent uh, approximately two years living with Swami. And he said one day he was helping Swami open letters. And Swami looks at the letters and say, oh, this one wants a promotion. This one wants to get a good girl for his son. This one wants to get a better job. And then he said, Swami's eyes were filled with tears. And Swami told him, he said, who is asking for me? 
Yes. So very beautifully you have put it that we've come to the wish-fulfilling tree asking for coffee powder. And if you ask for him, then everything else will be added on to you. So brother, the next question. Swami says, politics without principles, education without character, business without morality, science without humanity is not only useless, but positively dangerous. But I want to pull out the third uh, sentence in that. Business without morality is not only useless, but positively dangerous. So brother, we are... We are Sai Bhaktas, we are Sai believers. We live in a world where there is so much of uh, fraud, there's so much of deception, especially in business. People do so many adharmic things, you know. How does that devotee who wants to do the right and dharmic thing within an infrastructure and an atmosphere that is totally not conducive to that? So can you share a little bit about this particular statement, business without morality, and how we should navigate and practice this in our daily lives? So uh, the answer to this goes back to the very four Purusharthas, uh, the goals of human life. Uh, Swami had spoken about them several occasions. In fact, he used to use his four fingers. You say, what are the four uh, goals of human life? Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha. Righteous living, uh, uh, fulfillment of uh, uh, earning of wealth, fulfillment of desires and attainment of liberation. Then he was again put up and he said, but these are not independent. You have to combine them. And then he used to combine his two fingers like that. And then he will say, dharma has to be combined with artha and you should have desire for liberation. So have morality when you are working towards earning wealth and have only one desire the desire for liberation. The problem is we take these four things separately and we think that with that kind of a mindset, we'll be able to achieve them. It will not work. It's not sustainable. These are integrated. Dharma and Artha or earning of wealth through the righteous means is integrated. And that is why uh, Swami has given this particular uh, four sentences which you shared. And in that, if we look at the world around us today, the two biggest problems that the society is facing in my research and analysis. The first is socio-economic inequity. You look at the entire world. Today, there is one way of life, economic life, which is which has been embraced by most of the world, and that is capitalism. And in that ism of capitalism, one of the biggest problems, uh, two big problems, one big problem is socio-economic inequity. In America, the top 10% of the population has access to 90% of the wealth. The top 10% has access to 90% of wealth. In India, the top 10% has access to 80% of the wealth. 16 Indians have as much wealth equal to 600 million Indians. That is the kind of socio-economic inequities, this unbridled thirst and uh, 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 desire for wealth has led to. And the second problem with this approach has led to is deterioration of the planet and nature. Today, if we see, there is no planet on this, uh, there is no continent on this planet that is not affected by the deterioration of ecology. In the last three years alone, 
in 2019, 1819, the Amazon forest fires that killed millions of animals. In 2019-20, the Australian bushfires, which killed one billion mute animals in Australia. One billion. That's the pop one one seven one sixth or one seventh the population of the world of human beings. That many animals were killed in Australia alone. And in 2020-21, we see we talk about COVID as being one of the most unprecedented medical catastrophes. Yes, but you can look at the other catastrophes as well. North America is suffering from unimaginable, unprecedented heat waves. The polar continents are suffering from rains instead of snow, and Europe is suffering from unprecedented floods never seen in the last one thousand years of their history. Which planet on Earth has been scared? Is because of this approach to business, which is based on selfishness. We want to optimize on everything at our disposal so that we can make money. Optimize on people. Optimize on resources. And here, optimization. I'm talking about negatively. You make the most of them. We have this World War II terminology: kill competition, get maximum market share. optimize on resources leverage on people we have become like these warriors who want to make the most of it not realizing that the people on the other side are as much human beings as we are and this nature which we are exploiting is actually our home if you cut the trunk on the branch of the tree which you are sitting nothing will be left the way of business that we are indulging in currently is this kind of business morality or ethicality or the values which should be the core the dharma of earning artha are not being given priority and that is why swami always underscored the need for integrating human values in business that is what distinguishes him for example the man management book which is a compilation of the discourses he has given to his students of the mba program at his university provide a lot of insights and i would encourage all your viewers and listeners to make the most of that book it's available in the prashantlim bookstore is almost 36 discourses that swami had given over 20 years which cover every aspect of management and business and how it should be done and a unique definition of manager that swami gave i won't go into the details but i'll expand on the acronym of the word manager which swami gave m stands for mind of man a stands for awareness of atma n stands for nature of nations a stands for aspects of environment g stands for guidelines for goodness e stands for inquiry to, into ethos and r stands for role of rules when a manager a business manager indulges in business following these seven principles he'll be able to integrate morality into business i think this is the way business can be inclusive and sustainable in the 21st century that we are in if business is not done the right way there will be nothing left for the 22nd century because the way the humanity is facing crisis and the way the planet is facing crisis we will have neither humanity nor crisis in the next 80 years so the alarm bells are ringing that both in our civic and in our nature related approaches we need to be doing things in a far more evolved fashion and swami's message which has been given over the last 50 years is most timely thank you very much brother
I want to go back to one of the previous questions to ask now. And you have been under the watchful eye of Mother Sai physically for a number of years in Prashanti Niliam. You've studied so many of his divine discourses. And you've had your own personal transformation at his lotus feet. Can you share with us some of that personal transformation in the form of life lessons learned at his divine lotus feet? Yes. So I think in my case, it has not been... So typically, transformation is before and after. Before uh, 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 coming to Swami and after uh, uh, having Swami or your guru in your life. In my case, uh, it was not... There was no before, at least in this lifetime. I was born into his fold. And so there has always been Swami who has been a part of my life and has and his message uh, and his presence has been very integral to my existence in this birth. And so I would say uh, that that kind of before and after I cannot uh, share. But I can definitely say that the transformation has been in a way that his teachings have verily been the anchor of my life. And these teachings and message have always been the benchmark in whatever I do, in whatever I attempt in my life. Anchor meaning everything that I do or should be doing should be in alignment with that dharma which I spoke about in the context of Mahabharata. And benchmark means the level of perfection which uh, I spoke about how Swami has shown in his own life. How we can be like him in everything that we do because that is exactly why he had taken a human form. That is why every incarnation uh, takes human form to set an ideal, whether it is Rama or Krishna or Buddha, all of them set an ideal. So there is a benchmark that they have set that we need to work towards. So the anchor is to have that alignment with his message and the benchmark is to live up to the levels of perfection that he has set. We may falter, we may make mistakes, but we should never give up on the anchor of his message and we must never lose sight of the perfection of the benchmark that he has laid before us. In my case, transformation has been between these two, the anchor of his values and the benchmark of the excellence and perfection that he has laid before us in his own life. Uh, in terms of his teaching, because I've shared a lot of things, I'll just take one particular thing and that is of not living life in compartments. We have this habit of compartmentalizing our life. This is my personal, professional, and worldly life. And this is my spiritual life. Swami had time and again encouraged us to break these compartments. There is nothing like worldly life and spiritual life. There is only one life that has to be spiritualized. Everything has to be looked at from the spiritual lens. The biggest problem in our spiritual journey is that we look at our lives with these two different lenses and hence have different value systems for worldly things and spiritual things. This Swami has discouraged. He has broken this and said, you have to look at everything from the spiritual lens because everything is essentially divine. One needs to see that divinity as the very basis of all creation. And with that awareness, we perform our worldly duties. With that awareness, we perform our professional responsibilities. With that awareness, we do our, we fulfill our social commitments. And with that awareness, we indulge in all our spiritual practices. 
that should be our inspiration and we spiritualize everything that we do then there is nothing to be done separately because every act every work becomes worship every worship is done to that supreme principle who is in everybody and that becomes the very wisdom that divinity is the very undercurrent of everything in this creation this i think has been the most transformative transforming and uh, 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 most important insight that i have gained uh, from swami's message and this is the consistent effort i attempt to put in uh, to transform work into worship and worship into wisdom and integrate the paths of karma bhakti and gnana with the realization that we should spiritualize everything because spirituality is inherently the power that lights up this inert world thank you very much yes. brother for sharing spirituality i meant divinity divinity is verily the power that lights up this entire world and hence when we see everything with that lens uh, the word spiritual itself you have to parse it spirit which means soul which means your identification as soul and your seeing that soul being the basis of every other thing that you see when you are in the spiritual realm you cannot have distinctions of body and mind of dark and uh, white of uh, american of uh, russian of chinese of indian of of being uh, uh, of being rich or poor of being uh, great or average these are all distinctions of the body and mind spiritual distinctions spirituality does not give value to these distinctions because it sees the power behind that which is lighting up these distinctions that is divinity so that is the transformative experience in my life to see with everything with that spiritual lens to look at divinity as the basis of everything and yet there are distinctions there is a tiger that i don't need to embrace there is a wolf that i have to be aware of there is a wicked person whom i need to be distanced from but these are vrittis or tendencies that are covering the divine nature they are inherently divine but the negative tendencies are covering the divine nature so keep away from people with negative tendencies but hate nobody because divinity is the very light which is even shining on those negative tendencies this is the true spiritual message of swami that love all serve all because you are loving divinity in all you are serving divinity in all that all is not the body mind that all is divinity which is shining through those body minds that is the exalted principle and message of love all and serve all that swami has Thank you. Thank you so much, brother. It brought to mind a beautiful statement that Swami made as well, where he said, "Man has to be unmade and remade, with his ego destroyed and replaced by a transcendent consciousness." So it embodies what you were saying that we have to move beyond the name and the form and the prejudices of caste or creed or religion. and see really the spirit that is underlying in the whole of creation so brother when we look around in the society today we cannot help but notice apparent chaos confusion misery wars famines hurricanes disasters there's discord in the family circle nations are at war with each other there's fraud and so much of confusion to in business there's greed 
that is directing man's, as you said, man's uh, identification with progress. Now we have the pandemic virus that has swept across the entire world, bringing so much of poverty and pain and suffering and debt. So from your perspective, what can each and every individual do in the light of what is happening? What can each one of us do to contribute to making our village, our family, our nations, and by extension, the world into a better place, a more value-oriented place, a more loving earth? Yes, so there are two solutions to this. Uh, one solution which I would share is uh, what is the motto of uh, Sri Satasai Seva organizations uh, in India, at least in, nine, in the 90th birthday. Uh, they had embraced uh, this particular uh, motto, uh, transforming self uh, to transform the world. We always think that uh, we need to transform the world as an external identity. And hence, uh, we go around changing people, transforming them and saying, this is good, this is not good, this is the way you should do this. But actually, if we transform ourselves, automatically we will be able to see the undercurrents which are forcing the world to work in the way it is. It was Swami Vivekananda who had once said that it is only the ignorant man who finds faults in creation. The wise one realizes the creation is in perfect balance. Everything is happening in its perfect way. Though you think that it is not happening perfectly, that there is chaos, that there are distinctions, that there are divisions, that there are inequities. In the cosmic scheme of things, everything is happening in the perfect balance and the ant is also moving towards the Supreme Paramatma. However, at the relevant relative level, at the individual level, in order to get that cosmic understanding, we have to focus on our individual transformation. If we can transform ourselves based on the message of the master, we will be able to play a very important role in transforming the world because the world is a summation of all of us individual entities. All of us, 800 crore, 8 billion of us make the world. If every individual focuses on transforming herself or himself, automatically the world will be a better place. And you may say, I cannot change 800 crore people. Okay, change yourself. There will be one lesser rascal to address and there will be lesser trouble for the world at least from you. That is the agenda which Swami has for as many people who focus on their well-being and transformation, that much the world can become a better place. At a cosmic level, the at, a, at a macro level, the solution at a society level, the solution Swami has given is threefold. Daiva Preeti, Papa Bhiti, Sanghaniti. Love for God. Love for God does not mean the transactional sense. I will put a $100 note in the temple hundi and I will have my wish fulfilled. No, that's the most cheap way of thinking about God. Love for God means love for his message. Practicing what he has given us as his message and living your life in alignment with his message. That is love for God. Second, fear of sin. What is fear of sin? What is sin? This is the biggest misunderstanding. Swami has given the definition. To help others is merit. 
to harm others is sin. And then he would go one step further and say, who is this para? Para is not the other individual. Para is Paramatma, the God residing in that individual. So when you hurt the God residing in that individual, you are committing sin. So fear of sin means realizing that there is divinity in all. And just as I am very careful about the divinity in myself and don't myself want myself to be hurt or harmed, similarly, the other case, this is the fundamental principle of Jainism, one of the world, uh, world religions, which talks about the principle of non-violence. You don't harm or hurt anybody because just like your well-being is very dear and precious to you, that being's well-being is as much precious to him or her or it. And hence, by harming or hurting or killing them, you are coming in the way of well-being. So here, same thing here, parapidanam or harming or hurting others is actually harming or hurting that divinity in that. So fear of sin means not wanting to hurt or harm the divinity in anybody. And when each of us practice this love for God, which is divinity as the very basis, and this fear of sin, which is not wanting to harm or hurt anybody, basically help ever and hurt ever, never, when we practice these two principles, there will be morality in society. When each individual in society lives a life embracing the awareness of brotherhood of man and fatherhood of God, there will be natural practice of morality in society. I'd like to conclude and we'll end with this. What is the root cause of all the problems in this world? You highlighted a series of problems we face at the individual level and at the societal collective level. All of that can be captured in one word. Selfishness. Selfishness is the root cause of all the problems in this world. And selfishness comes when we have this distinction of mine and thine. This is mine, this is yours. In Sanskrit, mamakara and ahamkara, the sense of ego and the sense of possessiveness, which gives us the sense of mine and thine. But when we realize that we are all the children of one God, the same principle venerated in different religions in different regions and in different races, races by different names and forms, but verily the one principle, and we are all the children of that one principle. We are all verily the, the aspects of that one principle. We are all verily the reflections of that one principle. We will be able to curtail and eventually give up our selfishness give up a sense of distinction as an identity and see the oneness in all, the one underlying principle in all, that is when there will be true morality in society. And to work towards that end, the first dictum, transforming self to transform the world, is the only golden gateway. And that focus is the focus of our spiritual journey. And dedicated to that theme, I have authored a book the same title, Transforming Self to Transform the World, on the occasion of Swami's 95th birthday. And the book has been published uh, by the Book Trust at Prashantanilayam. And the books are available all over the world uh, to be ordered to Prashantanilayam. So if your listeners and viewers would like to know more on how can we transform ourselves 
in alignment with the message of our master and the message of the scriptures and the message from the great lives of acharyas and prophets of all world religions then this book would be very useful to you so do reach out and read it and i'm sure you will find many more insights i think we can so dr shashank shah we express gratitude and appreciation to you for taking the time to share your personal journey your thoughts and perspective based on your the teachings and understanding that have come from within it has been quite an elevating illuminating thought provoking interview and i am sure the viewers that are going to look at this will be inspired and not only inspired i think they will be provoked into action so as we bring this divine interview to an end can you chant one or two more slokas and let's have a fitting end to this wonderful and divine interview i don't know if you sing bhajans and would like to render one or two but if not if we can do one or two slokas and bring this yes. interview to an end yes so before that i'll just also like to bring to uh, your listeners and viewers attention uh, there are several aspects of uh, spirituality that i cover based on swami's message and the insights from world scriptures uh, in a series called spiritual reflections and it's a channel on youtube uh, where they are posted as short 5 to 7 minute videos uh, which are based on talks i have given in several parts of the world uh, so uh, feel free to uh, watch them share them i think they'll be really value adding in your spiritual journey uh, i'll conclude uh, om sarve bhavantu sukhinah sarve santu niramaya sarve bhatrani pashyantu ma kaschit dukha bhag bhayet bhag bhavet स्वस्ति प्रजाभ्य पिपालयता मगेण महीं महिषा गौ ब्राह्मणेभ्य शुभमस्तु निमस्तोका सुखिनो समस्तोका सुखिनो समस्तोका सुखिनो ओम शांति 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 मे ऑल दीइंग्स इन ऑल दर्ल्ड इज सुप्रीमली हैपी जय साई